Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. This week's interview is a story about a founder who had a great idea for a startup. He brought on a co-founder, and they both got down to business. But at one point, this founder realized that he'd chosen the wrong co-founder. They had very different visions and different expectations. And increasingly, they found themselves in conflict. But they didn't face the reality of the situation until it was too late, and one person had to leave the company. In this episode, we talk about lessons learned from the conflict between the co-founders and how it impacted relationships, business, and future success. My guest also shares what he did differently with his second startup, Inner Trends, to avoid making the same mistakes. You'll also learn how my guest is taking data science technologies and using them to help businesses convert more first-time site visitors into customers. It's a great story and a great product. I hope you enjoy it. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 Labs, Replicate, Modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. All right, today's guest is the founder and CEO of Inner Trends, a growth analytics platform for SaaS and web products. Inner Trends uses data science technologies to help you understand every aspect of your user onboarding process and to help you convert more first-time users into customers. The company was founded in 2015 and is based in Romania. So today I'd like to welcome Claudio Morario. Claudio, welcome to the show. Hi, Omar. Thank you. Now, did I, did I pronounce your name okay? Yeah, that was perfect. Okay, good. All right. So let's start by uh, one thing I always like to ask my guests is, is to kind of get inside their head and just figure out what drives and, and motivates them. So what gets you out of bed every day to to work on your business? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very hard question, to be honest. But the, the, I, actually, it's, it's easy, <laughs> hard and easy. Um, 
what drives me is having building something that people truly need and they would miss if it wouldn't be built that's a good answer <laughs> okay so uh let's i i want to kind of set the context a little bit for in a trend so i described it uh, a little bit to the audience but in your own words uh, help our audience understand what the product is and and what problem you're trying to solve with it yeah i, I, I always uh, like to to do a play of words when i describe uh, inner trends to people who are not from my industry and basically trying to use a web analytics tool to optimize a business in today's world is like trying to learn to play football by watching TV. You you get to learn the rules. You uh, you can you you do you spot a good player when you see one, but that doesn't make you a good player. For that, you need to have a coach, and that's where InnoTrend steps in. Uh, basically, it helps companies analyze, not just get access to data and reports. Okay. Now, um, we, we talked about sort of you guys using data science. Can you explain to yeah. the audience, uh, people who are not familiar with that term, what, what is data science? Yeah, so a lot of statistics and math. <laughs> so that's, uh, uh, that's where it all starts from. Basically, um, every, time, every time a company wants to take a decision, um, Often they want to look at the data and uh, see how they can use it to to support the decision they want to take. And uh, the thing is, looking at data is difficult. It requires knowledge. It requires understanding it very well and understanding stati- statistics, maths, uh, and when you have correlation, when you don't have correlation, when things uh, are uh, um, related one to another and so on. And it's often, especially in the tests we did initially, that we would show a report, uh, a, imagine a Google Analytics report, we'd show it to different product managers. And uh, almost never two different managers would take the same thing out of that report. Uh, and what that causes is people not trusting what they see in data. They, they, they think they see something, but they don't really trust it in a way to take a decision. So often they go with their guts. Um, when you have a data scientist in your team, a data scientist can, two, two different data scientists would look at the same set of data and they come up with the same conclusion. Uh, and that's what InnoTrends tries to do. They look at, it looks at data and gives you a conclusion that you can trust and use in your uh, business optimization. Innotrends is not your first startup. You had another company some years ago. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like where, where did where did you start on your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so um, I, um, I, I started with a job initially. And after three years in that job, uh, I think I went to to a, a conference in China 
where a customer, uh, I was a web analyst back then, and the customer came to me and congratulate, like, was really happy for the consultancy I gave him, which earned him, I think, a hundred thousand dollars or something uh, in the three months that we worked. And that was like, okay. So uh, maybe I shouldn't do the job anymore. Maybe I should try to build a business and uh, earn that kind of money. Um, and I started Padicode, a company which uh, uh, at the origin is also um, a web analytics uh, product, uh, but going rather into behavioral targeting. And it basically helps companies collect email addresses with pop-ups, but that are targeted based on behavior. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I started that company, uh, uh, without investment, without, uh, like grassroots, uh, we got to break even in the first year and ended up with 300 K revenue by the third year. Um, and is that, you, is um, that euros or, or dollars? Uh, dollars, dollars. Oh, okay. Um, most of a, a big chunk of which was profit. Uh, we were only three people working in the company, um, and the the way we managed to do that was by using data uh, and optimizing continuously uh, to to get uh, as much as possible from uh, from the traffic that we had. Uh, and I, I remember that I was going to conferences back then and I would basically uh, brag that we uh, we do m- more dollars per month than traffic, than, uh, than tr- uh, how many visitors get to our website. Um, and uh, yeah, that uh, we managed to do that by really understanding what happened, what is happening in the product and how people are using it and how to, uh, how to optimize it. Yeah. So, so party code is P A D I C O D E.com. Is that right? Uh, P A D I C O D E.com. Yeah. .com, yeah. Okay, cool. And, and so y- you were able to do, you, you were kind of applying kind of what you were selling in terms of better conversion rates to your own product to acquire customers. You, you basically had, you, you know, you'd worked on getting very high conversion rates with your own product. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, like, so our product was targeted at e-commerce uh, companies. And we've had some very big names as companies from uh, Adidas and Rebook and uh, uh, Orange, Vodafone. Um, yeah, like... We, we we got pretty big names using our um our products um and what uh but what we did was to look at um the data that we had collected about our users uh and we uh, we truly tracked everything at that point uh and yeah we 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 got to the point where we would do proactive support so basically, we would write from our support channel to users before they would write to us. Wait, wait, say, say, wait, say, say that again. Explain that to me. I didn't get that. So we we uh, we were spotting when people were having problems. Okay. And we would write to them before, like almost in real time. 
Like we, when we see something happened, we would just write to them, say, hey, I saw that, you, that this happened to you. Uh, this is how you fix it. So g- give, me an, give me an example of that. Um, so like, uh, as I said, we were doing uh, behavioral targeting campaigns. Yeah? So like a company could come and build a, a campaign and we say, I want to target all the people that see uh, three different uh, red dresses on my website to ask them to subscribe to a newsletter uh, with red dresses. Uh, and they would set up these campaigns and we would have an algorithm that looks at the targeting rules. And if there is uh, any chance of conflict with other campaigns or with having uh, low uh, conversion rates, and when that would happen, we would receive an alert uh, alert automatically, and we would go into the customer account, see how that could be optimized to get better results. So we wouldn't wait for the customer to have one week of data seeing that, hey, uh, my targeting campaigns is not bringing any results. We would write to them telling them, hey, if you fix this, this is what's going to happen. Wow. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's how we managed to get those numbers. And, um, I think starting with my second year, I kind of got frustrated with the fact that, uh, I didn't find on the market a solution, an analytics solution that would give me the answers that I needed in optimizing Paddy Act, Paddy Code. Um, little by little, it stuck to, in the back of my head that. It felt like a big problem. It felt like, hey, every company should do what we do. Every company should try to make the most out of their users and get as much revenue and as many happy customers as possible. Um, And it seems there is no no solution that makes it very easy to do that. Yeah, I mean, because I think most businesses would have some kind of analytics and yeah. whether it's Google Analytics or or whatever, but the question is: is you can look at that data and you can see how much traffic you're getting and you can see conversion rates and things like that. But how do you actually get to a point where you trust that data? And two, how do you figure out what is what are the actions you need to take with confidence rather than you know ha- having semi-confidence in the data and, and yeah. you know, a little bit of confidence in the in the decisions you're making. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier, where at the end of the day, you, you, you do end up making decisions on your gut, which you might do whether you had the data or not. Exactly. And com- companies have, I mean, when you talk with companies, when we talk with companies, they have very good questions sometimes. Like, what what is different between the people that pay and don't pay in their first week of activity. Now, try to get that report from Google Analytics. Uh, And I'm not saying it's not possible, but it really requires a trained person uh, that knows how to play with data very well to give you an answer. And CEOs and product managers are not trained data scientists. However, an answer to this question, what is different between the people that end up paying and those that don't in their first day of activity um, might make a huge difference to what's the, what's the roadmap for the next month. Right. And, and, and was there a, was, was this, was the answer different 
for different e-commerce businesses or did you did you identify some some common trends across across the board okay so like when we did that in Padiact, in particular we did that for us so uh, when i started doing that I, do, I i did it for the company for for optimizing our own company for the customers we just provided them the the pop up that uh, they could use on their websites uh, to target users at at some point things didn't well i left padicode uh, i got into a conflict with my partner um and uh, i left the company uh, i i remained as a passive shareholder there and uh, i decided to to focus on 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 this thing that's stuck to the back of my head why isn't every company why doesn't every company has access to what we did when uh we optimized body code and that's how you came up with the idea for inner trends yeah yeah and well that's not really well, that's how we started Inner Trends, yeah. And we, uh, I realized that, hey, my, my scenario at Padicode was very specific, but I need to, to get out in the world to truly understand how, every, how companies work, how SaaS companies work. So basically what we did in the beginning was to just build a, a technology. Uh, no, it was very clear for us that no matter what we decide to to build as a product, having a, a raw data uh, tracking technology. So everything that is tracked gets stored exactly as it is tracked. So it can be processed in the future in any way possible was crucial for us. So I think we spent the first six to eight months building that technology. Uh, and in parallel, we started interviewing companies. We started visiting companies, uh, talking to a lot of people, uh, to, to the, to get to the point where we would understand why don't they take data driven decisions? Uh, what stops them to do that when they already have access to lots of data? That process took Four months, I think. We started the interviews somewhere in March uh, 2015, and we we decided on a first version of a product by uh, by August, when uh, it was actually it was very fun. It was an investor that got got us on the direction that we are now, but not that because he gave us an advice, but because that he, I went to him. Uh, uh, we were part of a uh, program where we had different mentors talking, which we were talking to. I was looking for a lot of product managers because I wanted to understand how they use data, but one slot was filled with a investor. So while I was talking to him, I was telling him what we do, and he tells me, hey, there are like tens of companies that I get, or web analytics companies that try to pitch me every single month. Why are you different? And I was trying to tell him, like, because we, uh, we have this technology, and we, I, I was focusing a lot on the technical part. And yeah, why are you different? He was keeping, he was repeating that to me. Like I got angry at some point and like, because we answer companies questions and like at that moment, said so like, how do you do that? 
And the, the thing is, we weren't doing that yet, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just got pissed me off. And that's how I answered. And that's when I realized, hey, I'm, I'm up to something here. And I remember that I, I, I had around five or six more people I talked to uh, that day that were product managers. And I, gave, I told them this idea, we answer uh, your questions. And every single one of them was interested. I went back to my com to my team and I said, it's easy. We just need to build a, uh, a product that answers questions. Our companies need to come into our product, ask a question, and we provide them an answer and analysis. And we got to work and we built a interface. We were like, hey, we, let's just launch this because it's going to get wild. It's going to be the biggest thing ever. But then now let's do some user testing because maybe we can tweak it to have it better. And we, uh, I think we did five or six user testing uh, sessions. None of them were able to use it. Not, not even ask a single question. And that, that, um, that got us to a point in which, okay, uh, we need to get back to the drawing board. We need to get back to research. We need to get back interviewing companies to see why it's not easy for them. They were just staring at the monitor and didn't know what to, to ask. And um, little by little, we actually got uh, by, uh, I think in December 2015, we got to the point where we, we had a good idea and we had success with our user testing uh, of a product. In January, we launched the private beta uh, we stayed in private beta till September. The main reason we stayed so long was uh, we needed to answer more than just a few questions if people were to buy the product. Uh, so we actually had to build a bit by bit uh, and also grew our private beta base. And then in September, we, we launched. Uh, we already have... Uh, we closed 10, um, 10 customers, um, and yeah, we, uh, we are, that's where we are now. So when you say, uh, I'm just looking at the inner trends website and, yeah. uh, one of the things that you guys talk about in the product tour is get answers, not just reports. And, and the example you give is somebody asking the question, how are users converting during the onboarding process, which uh, you say is often one of the first questions that that people ask. And yeah. then with your example, instead of just providing data, um, it, it's kind of uh, a, a kind of a, a, a clearer explanation of what's going on. So the example here says during the selected period, 12 and a half thousand users finished the onboarding out of 29,000 odd signups. That's a conversion rate of 42.76%. You are losing most users a step three of form settings, which has the highest drop-off rate of 37%. And then analyze and take action. And then you provide like four um, specific actions that they can take to go and resolve that issue. Yeah. So that's basically the, I, I want to make sure that people understand what you mean by the idea of answering their questions. Is, is that a good example? 
Yeah, that's that's a good example. Uh, and yeah, that's true. That's that's really one of the questions that most of our users start with. Um, user onboarding is so growth has two components. Um, new users and uh, that come in and start using your product and old users that leave and never to come back. You can accelerate growth. So like the new users are the ones that accelerate growth and only the onboarded users count. If a user signs up and doesn't finish the onboarding process, it means they don't know your product yet. So they don't count towards growth. And also growth is slowed down by your churn, by the users, the old users that leave the product never to come back. So if you want to accelerate, you need to look at user onboarding. That's why it's often a starting point for most companies. Uh, that's where you, that's, that's where you want to go first if you want to impact growth. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's, that's a generic, one of the general questions you start with. And that gives you an overview. That gives you where you have the biggest problem. In the example you said, is like at, at the first step of the onboarding process. That's where you need to focus. Um, so basically, um, in a in a typical web analytics tool, what like Google Analytics or anything, you you, you build a funnel. First, the funnel doesn't. Uh, it's difficult to well, it's impossible almost to segment the funnel only on. Uh, specific users like new users, first thing. And second thing, um, it will be difficult for you to know where to focus. Where will be the biggest impact? Top of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, where is the, the biggest drop-off rate, uh, and so on. Uh, and that's where people look at it, make an idea about it, but they are not sure about it. They, they're not sure what to do about it. They might share it with their colleagues, they go into a meeting, they discuss it, and take, they might take a deci decision, uh, but again, which is often based on guts and what everybody thinks, not what the data tells you. So in inner trends, yeah, like in the example you said, we say, hey, at step three, there's the biggest uh, optimization opportunity. And then we give you an example of a question, see what happens between step three and step four, and, uh, and see if there are any actions that have a negative impact on user onboarding. So then from, from this report, you go to the next one and we tell you, hey, this action has a negative impact on your user onboarding. If people do it, the chances are that they are, it's more likely that they will drop off. So we, we tell you directly where you need to go and focus to start optimizing. It's not guts, it's not uh, what you think or what you, uh, Who's who? Like uh, I think you call them hippos, the highest paid person in the organization. It's not about uh, hippos' opinions. It's about data telling you where to focus and what to do to optimize a business. Okay, um, I, I want to talk more about the lessons that you learned from your first startup party code and and yeah. how that helped you to avoid making the same mistakes again with inner trends or maybe making the same mistakes with inner trend again and, and learning something yeah. from that. But before we get into that, I, I, I want to kind of close off a couple of uh, questions about party code. Firstly, um, you guys went to 
around 300,000 in um, annual recurring yeah. revenue. How, how did you, how did you do that? How did you go out and land clients like Reebok and some of the other companies that you mentioned? We started working on the product uh, as, as a side project. So I was still hired at a company. So I would, I would develop Paddy, Paddy code as a side project when I would get home. Um, and back then, uh, there is a company that's, uh, that was in big vogue at, at some point was, and it's still very well known today in web analytics called Kissmetrics. Yep. And Kissmetrics was in, um, in private beta. And they were having a lot of buzz around them. Um, uh, at that point, uh, with everybody uh, like saying that their product is going to be a game changer, it's really cool. They had a funnel product uh, at that stage, and it's much better than Google Analytics. And they, they would they they would get a lot of cover uh, coverage from blogs, a uh, lot of reviews because they gave them a early access to the product. And I think in August, in some August, I, I don't remember the year, they, they launched their paid versions, which started from 99, which got the community really, really mad because they realized that, hey, we were promoting a product that we cannot afford. Uh, most of them being small blogs or stuff like that that wouldn't pay $99 for a web analytics service when Google Analytics is around for free. And uh, I remember we were working at, uh, at our product back then and I called my partner and I said, we need to stop, we need to stop working on our product and we need to clone Kissmetrics with Google Analytics data uh, and launch that because there's a lot of buzz around and that will help, help us uh, get uh, awareness for our product. Uh, and we bought a team from Team Forest. We made a clone of Kissmetrics in, I don't know, 10 days or something, uh, but using Google Analytics data. So we would use the Google Analytics API and we would build the exact same report as Kissmetrics. And I remember that I wrote an email to Avinash Kaushik, which was an uh, evangelist for Google Analytics and saying, hey, Avinash, we built this. Uh, let me know what you think. And Avinash looked at it and said, like, it looks really cool, but I'm not very technical. I'll put you in touch with the product manager at Google Analytics to take a look. The product manager came back in one hour. I think it was 11 in the night. I was preparing to go to bed and said, like, your product is really cool. I want to feature it on our blog. When can we do that? And that's how we got featured in Google Analytics blog. And that got, that's how we started to get a lot of traffic on our website and blog. Uh, the clone we did on Kissmetrics was for free. Uh, Kissmetrics grew uh, a great product after that, much bigger than what we did. But we just used that uh, buzz around it to to get awareness on our brand and product. That got us a lot of links, a lot of... Oh, yeah, and what the way I used that was I would start writing to a lot of... Um, uh, big blogs saying that I want to post, uh, to, to do guest posting on them and giving a link from the Google Analytics article. And I got, I, I got accepted pretty much everywhere. 
That's really interesting. So, so if I get, if I understand this right, you, you kind of identified the buzz that was being generated as there was talk about Kissmetrics launching. Yeah. And then you identified uh, some of the issues with that and uh, why some people were critical of that. Yeah. And then you use that as an opportunity to basically give inner trends a, a space in that conversation. Yeah. That's very smart. Yeah. And, and then I think once you were picked up by the Google blog, then I think that gets you a tremendous amount of credibility in terms of yeah. if you go out and talk to anybody else. Yeah. Uh, of course, they're going to say yes because you know. Hey, if Google if Google likes yeah. your stuff, then sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's how it worked, and um, uh, yeah, we we actually didn't. I think we spent less than one hundred dollars on advertising at Bodycode. Wow. Ever, I think we we did an experiment once for something, and and then was that. Um, was that strategy of the the Google blog post as well as the guest posting the primary vehicle that helped you drive growth for Party Code? Um, no, because it was so the the product the clone product we built was nothing related to our own product. Uh, but because what that got to us was uh, lots of links to our website, so uh, that helped helped us. Uh, get uh, good search visibility. And as you said earlier, g- it was a very good entry point to the places that I needed to to grow uh, the actual product that we were building and we were selling. The, the Kissmetrics clone was free. We were not charging for it. So the way I used that was, uh, and it's... Um, it's something that uh, I, I, I'm starting to replicate at Innertrends as well because that worked uh, very well at that point. Um, so I went. I started going to. So we we were doing pop-ups that were collecting emails. So we started. Go, we went to. We integrated Mailchimp, and we wrote a, uh, an article about a success story. And we wrote to Mailchimp saying that if they want to feature us on their blog, and Mailchimp um, basically said yes, but then never replied. Uh, we thought, hey, maybe we are too little for Mailchimp. Uh, let's, um, but let's use that. Let's let's have Mailchimp and let's let's do campaign monitor, which was the second largest. Uh, and we did campaign monitor, but. And we kind of told them that uh, we were going to have a deal with MailChimp. We were in the process of working a promotion plan with MailChimp. And Campaign Monitor kind of did it, uh, wanted to do it as soon as possible. Uh, so we did it. Uh, they did a, uh, an, an article on their blog and sent a newsletter to all their customer base announcing our integration. Uh, and after that was Aveber. I think that's how we pronounce it. Uh, after that, companies starting contacted us, contacting us, saying that they want to be integrated as well, and uh, we would ask the conditions for the integration, meaning newsletter to all your customer base, blog post, social media promotion, and so on. So that was the main growth engine for Paddy Code. Okay. All right. So. 
two things. One was the guest posting and one, uh, lucky in the right place at the right time kind of, uh, post with Google, which really helped to build some, some momentum there. Yeah. That helped, that helped with being a Romanian company when dealing with the other, uh, with dealing with the other companies. We were very young, not known, but we had a link from Google. Yeah. And then secondly, in terms of the integrations, you started to identify um, integration opportunities with with companies and products where your target customers already were. And yeah. there was some kind of complementary opportunity for you to, to work together. So the, the integration was obviously beneficial for both sides. Yeah. And... Um, Instead of just kind of, you know, these days it's so easy that you you can be a developer and and say, oh, great, I see, uh, you know, Mailchimp has an API. I'm going to go and register for that, and then I'm going to go and build my integration and and leave it at that. But you didn't stop there. You actually started contacting these companies and trying to figure out how you can leverage uh, distribution opportunities, whether it was through their newsletter to reach their existing customers or blog posts or social media. And, and that, that makes, that's, I mean, that's really smart and that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of, it's not just about doing the integration. It's also about figuring out what is the smartest way to make the most of that integration opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually, actually did one more thing. There was, um, so after the first three or four companies that we integrated, uh, we started using customers to get con- introductions to the others. So basically, we, it wasn't me who would contact the next like Infusionsoft or Exact Target or so on. It would be a customer that um, that would ask the company if they have an integration with us. And then I would just jump in and saying, yeah, we can do that. Here's how we do it who should I talk to about it and so on. So yeah, we actually used customers to to get, I think they are now close to 40 integrations in the product. The second question I had uh, before we wrap up the conversation about party code and and continue the inner trend story is what happened with your partner and co-founder? What was the, what was the cause of this conflict that eventually uh, had you going down separate paths um that's a that's a very difficult question and to be honest i think it's the very first time i talk about it um it's uh that might not be very smart for me <laughs> uh not n- not not talking about it but being the first time probably i should have talked about it long long ago so what happened was um the company grew um we we would have success after success, um, and we started having different vision about how things should be with the company. Uh, I was a person that, from my view, it was clear that the company depended on me to make it bigger and to grow it. And I think for my partner, it was always a vision about um, building a company that that doesn't depend on her, that she she can sell or exit at any moment without having her 
part of it. Um, and I, I, I think we even talked about it from time to time, but I never actually um, got to a point to, um, to say that I don't agree with it, that we should do things differently. I just left things as they were because the company was, was growing. We were also in different position. I was in a position that if the company wouldn't go, I would be bankrupt while my partner had other options as well. So, um, but we got to a point in which uh, I didn't feel comfortable in the company anymore. Uh, we tried for six months to fix things. Um, and that, uh, that didn't work out. So I took the decision that, hey, I'm going to start all over. Going to be a very difficult process to do it. But that's the smartest thing to do if we want the company not to die right here and now. And I think it was the smart thing to do because the company is still generating revenue um, and good revenue. Um, so, yeah, the main problem was turning a blind eye when there are small problems and not discussing them. Um because you fear of what might come out of it. So it it, it all, uh, the, the source of this conflict was that you, the two founders had very different visions of the business and their role in the business. Yeah. And that led to both of you having or making different types of decisions on a day-to-day basis, um, yeah. which kind of led to more and more conflict. And and I think what I'm hearing is that you 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 knew there was an issue there, but yeah. you didn't want to have that difficult conversation. Yeah. Until it was too late. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it uh, and it blew off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so so let's get back to inner trends and so we, I I think it was important to kind of share the story of party code and and yeah, yeah. The, the process that you went through there and for everyone to understand you know some of the the lessons that you learned and also some of the the great sort of tactics and strategies that you use to grow that business and make it very profitable. So as you went into building inner trends and we talked about the, the sort of the early stage journey where you started having, uh, talking to potential customers and then trying to refine the product alongside that. And with the experience of, of what you went through with party code, what, what was sort of top of mind for you in terms of these are the things that I'm going to do differently this time? Um, well, one of the first things that I decided to do different was, um, well, I, I needed to make sure that I never again get into a position where I get in a problem, in problems with co-founders and to avoid uh, and to avoid repeating the mistake because 
Padicode could have been a very, very successful company. The vision for it was was really good, but the conflict between co-founders ruined that. And um, yeah, working for four years or three years in something and suddenly not be part of it anymore, it's uh, is not something that you want to to do again. Um, so the way the way we addressed that was. Um, we actually decided to go uh, through the route of investment because um, that's one that's one of the advantages I see in investment is that there is someone who would not allow problems to grow like they did in in Padicode. Um, and to have somebody who is external from the team, external from the company, who just jumps in from time to time and has an objective um, um, view of what's happening also and also have a stake in it. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that was helpful for us. We, even in Padicode, we actually got investment offers, but we, uh, we refused them because we really wanted to do grassroots to not take investment, do it or ourselves, grow and so on. And I think that was a mistake. Um, so that's one thing that I decided to do different. Another thing that I decided to do different was um, to choose co-founders based on skills that are now and not that might be in the future. My my partner in Padicode was a very uh, was was a salesperson. Um, but they needed a product to to have a product first in order to be able to sell it. So uh, their role in the company was very little in the beginning. Uh, and that's probably one of the cause of the problem. So, yeah, not, uh, I decided not to choose partners based on what they might help us in the future, but rather on how they can help the companies now. Um, yeah, so like these are in, like in terms of the business. In terms of the product, um, there, there are a lot of lessons that we learned from Padicode. Padicode was built from without being a product person, without knowing how to build products, without knowing pretty much anything on uh, product development. Um, and yeah, like we we are much faster right now. We iterate much faster, and um, it helps making mistakes in the past and not doing them again. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, so give me give me kind of you, you talked about making lots of mistakes on the product side. Give me one example um, of a mistake that you made with inner trends um, that, that you wish you had, you had handled differently earlier? Um, so the problem, the problem, problem that we did with, uh, with inner trends was um, thinking in terms of recipes. You remember I told you about how we did that party code with, um, 
with partners that we we integrated with partners and I found that recipe and I I implemented it over and over again. Yeah. So I went, I said, like, let's do this in trends. So uh, let's uh, let's answer every question about what we can take from, let's say, an e-commerce provider data. And let's answer questions on revenue, monthly recurring revenue, churn, and so on. And um, and we actually started building that. We 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 lost, I think, two months. It didn't. It it doesn't work the same as with um, as it worked with Padicode because uh, what we learned later is people don't have people like problems that companies have are not. Um, are part of a whole business. They, they relate to a lot of things. You cannot just take revenue data, put it there, and hope to actually give some answers to a company on how to improve their business. It needs to be correlated with much more data from different sources in order to um, uh, to, to to bring value, to, to, to actually give something to the customer that he can say... Uh, uh, he would definitely want to pay for and uh, get as much as possible uh, of that. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, that, that was a big mistake. We actually scrapped all that. We deleted all the code. Uh, and then what happened after a new series of interviews, we actually decided to focus on a problem and not on a set of data. So that's how we focused on user onboarding. And we said, let's cover everything about user onboarding, every single aspect of it. Because if we fix that, we actually might get customers improve business, even if we don't cover other areas. But we need to cover a problem, not a set of data. How did you get to that insight? Um, to be honest, I, I remember very well when I got to that insight. Uh, it was after an event. I participated at, and again, it was, I, I talked to many, many companies. I, I, I don't know what made it, but I remember the moment I walked the door, out of, out of the door from the event, I called my partners and said, we need to have a talk tomorrow. Uh, I think I know what we need to do next. Uh, it's, uh, we need to focus on a single problem and we need to fix it. And I remember have, talking with our, with, with my partners in that and everybody was on page. Everybody, like, it, it seemed like all the data that we had before seemed to uh, validate that thing that I came out from. It wasn't a single discussion. I, I'm not sure what was it, but it was at that moment. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah, because it's kind of ironical because you you kind of were trying to ask, uh, you know, saying you're going to answer people's questions, and then you're focusing on the data. Yeah, and then the data <laughs> is not really answering the yeah. questions. That they, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, it's um, it's not a problem of data. Data is available. It's there are many sources of data out there. It's, that's not a problem. And that's not a problem we try to fix. What we try to fix is how do, how to, what questions to ask and how do you get answers to them as quickly as possible? 
And that's the starting point to actually starting using data. So once you switch to focusing on user onboarding, did it also make it easier to to market the product and sell it? Yeah, much, much, much easier. We So that was in November. By the end of December, we had a first version of product in I first in first week of January we did testing I think I worked even on 1st of January uh we did testing of it on 7th of January we invited our first user um and we focused on how to improve their user onboarding because it was clear for us if we managed to improve user onboarding for a customer and for every other customer we have like we have the product that we are looking for not a product about data, but about a, a product about uh, uh, optimization, about insights. So um, we we looked at the customer, how they use the data, how they were referring to it. And then we took the second customer in February. Um, there was a lot of manual work that we were doing, really not scalable at all, but little by little things got into the product. If... If the tracking for the first customer took two weeks, uh, we currently deploy tracking in less than two hours. So that's that's what happened in the last year. We, uh, yeah, and uh, to answer your question, it was very very easy to to sell it, but we actually went one step further. Uh, not a lot of people are looking for user onboarding. That's that's a problem we started to see, I think, in June when we started to to work on our blog and content marketing and so on. And we realized that, hey, we talk about something that people don't look for. Um, but growth and growth hacking is something that um, people do look for. So uh, we we decided to broaden a bit the user onboarding towards growth where user onboarding is still the main uh, the main player, if you want, in the product, uh, the main driver. Uh, and um, when we started uh, the product, when we, uh, yeah, we started the public version of the product in September, we focused more on growth. Now, I'm curious about one thing. We, earlier, we talked about Kissmetrics and yeah. how when they launched, they were charging... $99 a month. And there was some criticism of that because a lot of the people who, who thought they wanted to use the product um, maybe just found that out of reach for them or it was just a little too expensive for them. Um, I'm going to love this question. <laughs> yeah. But I look at inner trends and I mean, your, your, your cheapest plan is over $300 a month. Yeah. Um, so the one thing that sort of hit me was number one is what type of customer are you targeting when you think about that? And also have you considered sort of earliest stage SaaS businesses who couldn't pay $300 a month today, but maybe could pay less to, and, and could become a customer over time as they start to grow. Um, so just tell me a little bit about sort of the thinking and how you arrived at that planning, the pricing plan. <laughs> I told you I'm going to love this question. <laughs> yeah. So um, as you see, we only have one tire. 
So basically what we do right now is to, to focus on the customers that can bring us. Um, so right now we still learn with our customers. So we want the customers that have enough data that we learn as quickly as possible so we can iterate very fast. Um, and that's customers that have around one more than 500, preferably, preferably around or more than 1,000 new users per month. Um, and that's one thing. The second thing, so like these companies are beyond product market fit. Uh, they're not early stage. Um, secondly, the web analytics landscape changed a lot. I think um, it's when Kissmetrics launched, uh, it was the first, one of the first well-known paid web analytics service because pretty much there was Google Analytics, which was free and everybody was using. And then was the enterprise products that were very, very expensive, like Site Catalyst from Omniture or WebTrends or CoreMetrics and so on. And there was nothing in the middle. And Kissmetrics came in the middle, uh, advertised in the low end where there was very high interest with the bloggers. And yes, the $99 price was very, very high for them. Um, the thing, the landscape is totally different right now. Companies realize that it is useful to pay for web analytics uh, and uh, they demand more and more. Uh, so yeah, we actually had, we, we've had people saying us that we charge too low. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes total sense. I mean, you, you, you could have started off with a, a much lower plan to attract earlier stage um, SaaS companies, but if they just don't have uh, enough data there, then it's not really going to help you to to build the right product as quickly as possible. What would happen for many of them would be they would get a, a, sim, a, a small answer saying there is not enough data to drive any conclusion <laughs> from it. And that's, that's, we cannot iterate from that. Yeah, totally. So, uh, however, what is surprising for me is we do have um, uh, two or three customers who are beyond that um, number of 500, uh, below that number of 500 signups per month um, that um, we've had, well, yeah, we, they were happy to pay for the product. So we might learn something new in the future as well <laughs> from this perspective. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you yes. uh, uh, seven questions and just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? From one of my mentors, it was um, sounded something like, plans always change, but you always need to have a plan. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I'm not a big fan of business books, but I'm, I'm uh, more fan of fiction. Um, there is a book that I'm reading now and I love, which is on the origin of species, which is not, neither fiction nor business. But I love how deep did Charles Darwin go to prove his theory and I think he would have made a great entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, what's one 
attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I, I really believe this, that successful entrepreneurs are not really driven by success, but by the meaning they, they uh, bring to the world and the change they bring. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, I start my day by writing everything I need to do that day, hour by hour. What's a new or crazy business idea that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Um, I'd probably invest time and money in education or agriculture. I know very little about each of them, but it feels like these domains need a lot of help and any help they can get. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? It is almost an accident that I got involved in technology. My plan was to get involved into humanitarian work. Uh, if a job interview almost 10 years ago would have gone the other way around, I'd probably be today in a conflict area somewhere with some organization called, you name it, Without Frontiers or something. Because you, I think in the, uh, from your LinkedIn profile, I saw that in the early days you, you'd, you'd been working with yeah. the UN. On... Yeah, yeah. I actually, I only applied for a single job in my life and I got it. If I wouldn't have got it, I would be in your end right now, probably. <laughs> and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Um, I hope that doesn't sound cocky or anything, but I love to think. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> cool. Claudia, I want to thank you for, for joining me and sharing your, your story with us. Um, and I, I will, I'd love to stay in touch and uh, follow you and, and the growth of Inner Trends over the coming years. Uh, if people want to find out more about Inner Trends, they can go to innertrends.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Twitter and email. It's claudio at innertrends.com. So that's C-L-A-U-D-I-U. At innertrends.com. And we'll include the link to your Twitter profile as well on the show notes page. Thank you. Thank you very much, Omar. It was really, really great great to have this chat. And uh, yeah, looking forward to to meet again. Yeah, (laughs) I I really enjoyed this conversation as well. Thanks for making the time. All the best. Thank you. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 Labs, Replicate, modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com.
Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.